and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network where we dive deep into Wildbo's most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about CineDA 14.2, uh, which uh, begins with, um, well, last chapter, Blake and Alistair decided to team up, and now they're kind of figuring out exactly what that means. Uh, and the first thing that it means is that they can start delaying the dawn. Yeah, and I love the imagery that's set up. Like, I don't know, it was just so cool with all the blue flames lighting this, you know, recently flooded and half burnt room with all the furniture stacked (laughs) on the side yeah there's just something really cool about everyone gathering around uh for alistair to do a cool ritual that involves blue fire going everywhere um i mean there's also the bit where obviously green eyes's eyes get mentioned and it's like oh these don't belong and i was sort of like well that's not very good imagery uh and then you know the next thing that happens with green eyes is she gets right up in tiff's grill um with no warning and it's the funniest thing i think in the book so far i loved it yeah <laughs> yeah you've mentioned it like six times since you read the chapter so <laughs> i can tell you really do it it is a funny moment for sure i was saying nothing comes of it it like like bike Blake doesn't really think on it at all he's just like oh, might have to keep an eye on her that's a bit odd there's no there's no thought about why why this might be happening what he could do to prevent such like crazy mm. behavior because um you know, like you know, talking about green eyes not looking like she fits in, and then she goes and just become like you know, she's the most confrontational in a room that's got Rose and a bunch of Bahames in it. <laughs> so, like, what are you doing, green eyes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good moment though, and I like that Blake is. Um, I was going to say oblivious, but I guess just a dingus enough that he completely doesn't <laughs> notice uh, or doesn't like connect to the thought of why that's happening which is he doesn't even try he doesn't even have the thought of huh what well, that's about he just doesn't yeah. take the time to consider it <sighs> classic blake <laughs> <laughs> um alistair continues to show off how good he is at at all this stuff uh even blake can't help but compliment him i mean yeah how could you not this this whole thing is super cool is super cool like super yeah. legit yeah um there's this bit where <laughs> Alistair, he like spins the ring around a little bit and Rose is like, oh, you don't need to do that. And Alistair and Blake both say theatrics at the same moment, which is a classic (laughs) moment. And Alistair smiles and is like, oh, that was funny. And Blake, the line in fact is, Alistair smiled, I didn't. Which is so... (laughs) (laughs) Alistair is so clearly like trying to get in the good books of his new brother-in-law and Blake is just not going for it. Um, yeah, I, I loved this moment so much. I mean, Alistair and Blake, we talked about it after, uh, Alistair's interlude. They're so perfect for each other, both as antagonists and kind of slightly begrudging allies. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like Rose is the third wheel in this trio sometimes. Um, and like, this is one of my favorite tropes and TV shows do a lot where you have a recurring baddie who plays off you know the heroes really well as a baddie and you force them to have to team up for some reason and you kind of get to explore a new angle in their antagonistic relationship and yeah. it's it's such a great trope for a reason and it's it it's being used to full effect with alistair right here yeah it, it's it's really good um and actually i want to kind of call this out because this is a theme we see throughout the entire chapter of alistair doing like really nice and friendly things and blake being very very wary of him like offensively wary of of alistair um that like there's a bit where 
uh, Alastair says, there's more to some chronomancy than simply altering time. And Blake responses, or less to chronomancy than altering time. And Alastair's like, mm, and then looks at the other others, clearly being like, <laughs> I wish you hadn't said that in front yeah. of all Could these other not? people, Blake. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> it is such a like a mean-spirited thing to do, just to be like, uh, we all know your magic shit, right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it does seem like Blake is having a bit of trouble letting go of his bad feelings towards the Bahames, um, and maybe even Alistair specifically. Um, I mean, the the other interesting angle we could consider here is that Alistair is roses. Like, obviously, the, later mm. on in this chapter, we go into the idea that um, of you know how much these two will sort of diametrically oppose yep. things that are connected to the other, and obviously Alistair and the other Bahames get labelled as roses later. So that, on top of just his general distrust for Alistair, could be like pushing him to not like Alistair if he's associated with Rose. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder how conscious that is by Blake. Oh, not at all. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it does make sense. You're right. I, I think that's a, a, a fair assumption. Just anything that's got Rose's hands on it, it's kind of like Blake immediately won't get on board with it. Yeah, I, and and the Baham name would not be helping. Yeah. Um, I, I also wanted to pull out one other quote, uh, which was... Alistair just sort of uh, says to Rose, kind of in the middle of everything, um, we expect you to hold on to your end of the deal. It's not just for our sake, it's common sense. Uh, Rose glances over at Tiff, Alexis and Ty and she says, yeah, we'll arrange it before we move on to the next steps. Mm. Um, and this is just after they've been talking about, uh, you know, Barbatorum being up in the attic. So just, I, I guess, on the list of things to add to Alistair's achievements in this chapter, I think we can maybe add getting Rose to tell someone else how to keep Barbatorum locked up, which is, I, I mean, like, bravo. That, mm. <laughs> this is this is long overdue. Um, like, I think this chapter is kind of defined to me as the chapter where Alistair is a very good leader. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, like you know we're about to see he even helps evan yeah and, and and like who doesn't love evan like as a reader like i think i think that bit is especially included in this chapter because it, it pretty much instantly wins over most of the readers i think like when you see alistair hill evan as a reader you're like yep well alistair, yeah no you're right but the fact that he's able to get blake and rose working together again in my mind is like the pinnacle of achievements <laughs> um yeah uh, so, yeah, so Alistair uh, asks to speak to Blake outside, and, and Rose also comes along, I guess. Um, <laughs> same same thing. Rose, Blake, what's the difference? <laughs> and uh, Alistair reveals... Yeah, yeah. Um, Alistair reveals uh, that he knows about the secret puppet master thing, um, but it seems that nobody really knows who it is, which we kind of thought it might be the Abyss last chapter, uh, but it seems there's something more going on here. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder if, if Podrick knows. Like, last chapter... No, sorry. In 13.x, I, I got the... I, I guess I made the assumption that Podrick knew who was behind it because he seemed to have that vibe. But I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah, I, I had that impression as well. And it wasn't until I read, you, read what you'd written just there that it made me think, you know, Podrick is 100% the sort of person who would write it in such a way to give you the impression he knew when he has <laughs> absolutely no clue. Yeah. Uh, so I'd now put it at like an even 50-50 as to whether he does actually know what's going on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, obviously there's there's some more in this direction later on in the chapter, so we'll talk about it a bit more later. 
Yeah. Um, and Alistair also helps kind of close a few dangling threads. Things like why Molly is so powerful or why the boogeymen seem so powerful at the moment, which we kind of had already put together as related to this, but it's nice for Alistair to confirm that these things are all kind of playing into this secret puppet master abyss agenda. Yeah, it, it just kind of is, is a bit of cleaning up of, like, we don't really get any new information here you know any significant new information it's just kind of like wobbo maybe closing off threads that he saw people chasing down that were not the direction you're meant to be having your head spun in yeah um because i mean the one thing that sort of came out to me from this was in 13 point x i got the impression it wasn't a practitioner mm. um i can't even remember exactly why but obviously here the assumption seems to be it's probably a practitioner. I mean, we're heading off to fight Briar Girl and Mara mm. next. Um, which, you know, given if we're looking for someone who's helping tank Jacob's Bell using the Abyss, I mean, Mara does seem <laughs> like a good bet. Yeah, it seems like she's the kind of person who would do it just to fuck with everybody. Be like, well, civilization shouldn't be here at all, so yeah, see exactly. Ya. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. She'd be she'd be completely on board with this. Absolutely. <laughs> um, as you mentioned, Alistair also uses some power to heal Evan, and Blake, uh, you know, seems actually even reluctant to let him do this, which is a bit of an interesting take. Yeah, well, I love how this bit kind of foreshadows all the stuff about relationships that uh, we'll get into soon. Uh, where Rose gives permission to sort of touch Evan, and Evan's like, no, nope, doesn't count. Um, and then, yeah, Blake Blake's response to all this is, uh, it happens, and Evan's very happy, and Blake's just like, yeah, sure, thanks, but, you know, I'm thinking <laughs> tactically, and I know yeah. that you've just done this so you can manipulate me in the future. And I don't think he's completely wrong, to be honest. I think mm. uh, I think Alistair's clever enough that that had crossed his mind too, but I also think that, if if someone wants to just keep doing nice things to you, is is that the worst thing? I don't know. I guess that's what Podrick did to Mags or Maggie back then. So yeah, maybe not. But um, it does it does kind of feel like Blake is just looking for excuses to hate Alistair. <laughs> yeah, and I think Alistair's. You know, it, is it a manipulation to for him to be nice to get Blake on side? I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know if I am comfortable calling that a manipulation. Yeah. You're just trying to get me to like you by doing nice things for me, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. I'm on to you. so Machiavellian. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that's the thing. You, I, I, I walked away from this chapter and even the previous few kind of so on board with Alistair and everything that he's been about. Yeah. Like, as I said, this chapter is so... I feel like it's designed to manipulate the readers into to being on Alistair's side. And that does make me a little bit suspicious. <laughs> I, I, I no longer trust this, this book on stuff like this. So... I, I'm sort of trying to keep my keep myself a step back and and wait for another shoe to drop, but mm. at the same time, I do think maybe Blake is being a bit ridiculous here. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Alistair's strategy is basically be completely open and transparent with Blake, and eventually you'll have to come around, right? And it does seem <laughs> yeah. to be more or less working on Blake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's working on me too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, since Rose decided to come along for this conversation, Blake and Rose inevitably end up just getting back into the old dynamic of sniping at each other, and Alistair plays the conversation cop a bit, <laughs> clearly getting fed up at their interactions. Like, it's a very uh, exasperated husband vibe, which I really liked. Yeah, him playing the peacekeeper here is very fun. Uh, I struggled not to just pull out 
every bit where Blake and Rose interact and then Alistair chimes in. Like, there's sort of this this escalation in how he tries to, like, get them to stop confronting. Like, at the start, yeah. he's sort of like, well, I think what Rose is trying to say <laughs> is... And, yeah. and then by the end, he's just like, can you two just not talk? Like, fuck. The, the specific line is, let's not have you two talk to each other, okay? Make it a rule. <laughs> Which is so, like, so passive-aggressive, but also correct. Like, that's clearly the best rule. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Um yeah i mean again it's another thing that makes me want alistair as the lord of jacob's bell <laughs> um i think what i really like about this whole segment is we really ramp up how much blake and rose are essentially unable to agree on anything and and you know it's just like they can't agree on any single thing and then suddenly it's like oh should we call the lawyers in and they're both just immediately together like not and it's sort of it makes you instantly go, okay, so we know that that's objectively a fucking terrible idea. Yeah. Uh, if it finally united these two, and then as if that payoff isn't sort of enough, we then pay it off again almost immediately because when Alistair suggests they're going to have to coordinate, they're both like, oh shit, and you know they agree in how terrible that is. So I like how there's sort of two payoffs for the price of one here. We get this <laughs> this ramp up to explain how big how terrible an idea calling the lawyers is and then we also use that to say and also the idea of coordinating to these two is just as horrible that they're also on the same page here yeah yeah <laughs> uh, it's a it's a good way of setting it up and it immediately conveys to alistair um well it's used it was it's used for the lawyers but then there's one other one where they agree on it and it's kind of like yeah it's a nice little recurring way for us to emphasize how terrible some things are well the other thing they agree on is how horrible it's going to be trying to coordinate with each other yeah which is just like and i think put like putting that to them on par with calling the lawyers really sets up for how much fun this is going to be watching them try to coordinate (laughs) yeah and eventually alistair kind of says to them hey look like you guys need to get on the same page and he actually mentions it as like it's time to balance the scales right which Mm. initially made me think that he was gonna try and convince rose to do like a blood transfusion thing or something like that but yeah me too um but alistair's plan i think is a lot more practical and good (laughs) (laughs) um and it's it is like he has a direct line into the audience's brain of like yes finally someone is going to get them to actually practically work together thank god (laughs) I mean, this does seem to be the the best strategy we've seen that doesn't involve uh, Rose being in the mirrors and powerless to stop Blake doing shit, um, which so far has been the most effective strategy the two have employed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what I really like about Alistair in this chapter is it's not that he's just trying to do things that, like, I, I'm all about. It's that he's actually doing them. Like, he, he, he actually heals Evan he kind of gets these two to agree to work together and balance their connections, which is like, this is the real fucking magic. As you said, forget forget this little tri- time delay trick nonsense that he's done. <laughs> he's getting these two on the same page. That's far more impressive. Yeah, the the Sine DA ritual was just a cover-up to explain why he's lost all his power, because he's actually spent it getting Rose and Blake to agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. But I think, like, uh, as well, th- this whole idea of splitting up the group, like, I just love this from a sort of metatextual perspective, because, like, I was just saying last episode how I had this, like, you know, big, long laundry list of uh, conversations I wanted Blake to have with people, and this is such a fun way to kind of 
split those up into like groups that you know we're kind of mixing up dynamics as well as knowing in the back of our heads now that rose is probably going to be trying to do convincing of them to come to her side in the background <laughs> uh this is very this is very fun i can't wait to see more of this yeah it's a good setup for the for the arc for sure um mm. so blake and rose are split into groups and they all get their little group of followers with which to perform various uh missions around town <laughs> Yeah, so basically Rose and her troop are going after Briar Girl and Blake and his troop are going after Mara. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I actually, I, I, I'm kind of keen to see where this goes because Mara and Briar Girl are kind of the obvious answers, which makes me think it's not them. So I'm very excited to try and get them knocked out of the way as, as um, suspects so we can mm. find out, you know, the real puppeteer <laughs> was, I don't know, it's Alistair all along. Yeah. Um, I, I want to touch on here... Blake has clearly got the better team. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I so Peter and Roxanne are on Blake's team, whereas Ellie and Catherine are on <laughs> are, are on Rose's team. I can't imagine having Ellie and Catherine on your team. Like they're the most useless. Um, and then Blake has Tiff, while uh, while Rose has Alexis, which I think is relatively even. Those two. Um, yeah, I think Alexis. Alexis, in, actually, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. That, that pro- that's probably pretty even. Yeah, I, I Alexis mean, seems El- like Ellie's more of not, a generalist, uh, while Tiff is, like, quite defensive, yeah, I guess. Yeah, which, of course, plays naturally into Blake's uh, style. Mm-hmm. Um, she can try and keep him alive, I guess. I mean, somebody <laughs> somebody has to. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, you're right. Like, Ellie, Ellie has some skills. We saw how useful her thieving skills were against Eva. Yeah. Um, so she's not the worst, but definitely, like, I would pick Peter. Uh, and and Roxanne seems to have a lot of potential. It didn't really work out in in the abyss or anything, but uh, like just based on how Roxanne was set up, I'm I'm not willing willing to write her off yet. Yeah, I, I don't know. Roxanne is like two steps away from being Ava, I reckon. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. I also find it hilarious that Blake's new uh, boogie bunch uh, got split up. Yeah. Uh, like, I wonder how some of them feel about that. He hasn't even spoken to some of them directly yet. Like, I, I love this idea that he just met some of these guys 10 minutes ago and they're already getting divvied up like he owns them. <laughs> yeah, um, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, it's, they, really, it, it's, really a testament, it's really a testament to how much better Blake is at relationships than Rose, I reckon. Yeah, I don't know. If I was like, okay, let's form an alliance with this guy and then it was just like, okay, you're now my tools, so go off with this other <laughs> <Yeah>. person. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, because they, they joined up with him. They're like, yeah, let's let's go take out Alistair. We know when we're being manipulated. And Blake was like, yep, right, okay, let's go get that manipulator. And then five minutes into being there with him, he's like, okay, let's do what Alistair says. He's just manipulated me into being on his side. Now you guys go follow Alistair's wife around, right? And do what she says. <laughs> um, the, other, the other reaction that I do like that we get to see is uh, Jeremy comes back and he's like, wait, wasn't the plan going to be killing the Bahames? You you wanted to kill the Duchamps, but now that it's the Bahames, you're okay with it? Like, he's, uh, he's a little bit uh, PO'd at that, I reckon. Yeah, fa- fairly, I- I'd say. Um, because, like, that was a fairly solid plan. Do to the Bahames what you just did to the Duchamps so that you can get everyone united behind you to fight Johannes. It was it was a pretty good idea. Yeah. And, I mean, Blake's argument here is basically, that's still kind of happening. Um, and it is. It's just now Alistair's the one calling the shots, so yeah. it's not really happening. Yeah, exactly. It's a slight difference, but enough to make a, I think, a fair change to the overall feeling of it. Yeah, well, it's, and wait, it serves as a great reminder to us, this confrontation with Jeremy, as to 
how well Alistair's done at sidestepping, you know, his lateral step yeah. around uh, Blake. He's now basically kept Blake on the same path and, and satiated Blake's need for the Bahames to be powerless, but somehow managed to put himself in charge of Blake at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, well done, Alistair. I mean, as I said, this, this chapter is just the Alistair is a very good leader chapter. Yep. Um... So yeah, Rose and her crew are going after the Bright Girl. Uh, Blake's crew is going after the Hag, which feels mean. Like I don't know if we've ever called Mara the Hag before. It seems like a bit of a spiteful nickname. I think she has been referred to that sometimes, but like you're right, it comes across as way meaner than like the Crone, like Crone yeah. Mara, because Crone Mara felt like a title. Yeah. Uh, whereas just the Hag seems so. <laughs> dismissive and and rude i'm kind of like wow blake like you know i know she's trying to kill all these you know innocent people depending on your perspective um but yeah yeah it's cold um i mean as if mara cares let's be honest mara probably doesn't give two shits what they call her (laughs) uh so yeah so uh jeremy uh, seemingly out of spite at blake's changing of the plan gives blake's team a a very cryptic warning about how powerful johannes is um (laughs) and before long this kind of uh comes to fruition as they see basically a few ginormous like attack on titan style others that are coming out to play I mean, I love I, I, I love having Peter here to do the whole, like, normal person calling out the bullshit of this world when, when Jeremy's just like, oh, wait till you see this. It's pretty crazy. Anyway, bye. And Peter's like, are you, <laughs> are you fucking serious? Are yeah. you going to pull that shit right yeah. now? And Jeremy basically <laughs> just winks at them and then walks away. <laughs> um, yeah. And I mean, I think what's interesting as well is Blake has a thought as Jeremy's walking off where he's sort of like, uh, you know, this is what happens when you take the good Sandra away from Jeremy's. He's just the arsehole he was before. Mm. Which, which I, I thought was an interesting thought because I, I think it's harsh, but I also think it's probably not entirely wrong. Um, yeah. And it, and it got me thinking, you know, I think we've compared Jeremy and Blake at various points. So I was trying to think, could this be saying something about Blake and his connections? Like, you know, is Green Eyes or, or even Rose meant to be his balancing uh partner i mean evan probably yeah you're right evan's a good one too um i i don't know the idea that like obviously sandra probably had some good influence on jeremy but if i was gonna think of a reason why he's a bit less or a bit more of an asshole than usual i would think he did just kind of turn on his wife and get some of their family murdered like Mm. uh, it's probably not the best uh night for him that was what like half an hour ago yeah, and also Blake just came and completely changed the plan to yeah, not, be, not be anti the the other rival family. Yeah, so y- you're right, but um, I I do think I do think uh, Isadora probably hit the nail on the head, like hooking Sandra and Jeremy up. Like there, I do think Jeremy probably would have been a different person if he hadn't kind of ended up falling in love with Sandra. Yeah, I think so um, too. So I like I do think there's some something behind what Blake's saying here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean. Johannes is being set up as the uh, the villain of this arc, and I'm excited for him to finally be center stage. He's been in the wings yeah. for so long. Like, it's finally time to see, okay, what can you really do, Johannes? How powerful actually are you and all your other friends? Yeah, and... Um... Yeah, because you're right, he's been set up as the big one yet to drop for so long, and it seems like, 
we're getting a dragon and a giant. Um, I mean, as, as has already been discussed on our Discord, it took me until the second try to actually understand what was happening here, uh, thanks to some pointers from, from our, uh, our patrons. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like this idea because Johanna's domain has been set up as, you know, the good old days for the others type thing. And now we're getting two mm. bread, and butter, bread and butter classics of Western fantasy literature. Your yeah. dragon and your giant. Like, I think they fit that bill kind of very well um and i can't wait to see how they play in pact yeah i actually had this thought as well of like it it's that classic kind of medieval or dnd style of monsters right yeah and i am uh you know pact is obviously a kind of modern american supernatural tale and i am very excited to see uh the take that uh you know medieval mythology has in this <laughs> world it's awesome yeah yeah me too um, so we'll see what happens next chapter, I suppose, uh, because that's the end of CineDA 14.2. But before we end our corresponding episode, it's time to pull out some comments from when this chapter first came out five years ago and see what other people are saying about this chapter. Uh, yeah, so why don't you kick things off, Ruben? Sure. So I put out a comment by Sir Fuente, um, and this comment was pretty good, but I'm going to be honest, I put it out mainly because there's one line that kind of got me thinking, um, where they say, uh, the arch nemeses team up to face the big bad, meaning Blake and Rose. Um, after that matter is settled, the two must have their ultimate final battle. Who will strike first, Blake or Rose? And this kind of made me think about, obviously Blake and Rose are by design in constant conflict, but I'm kind of... Yeah. I want to pick your brain a bit and see what you think about the idea that this story is going to end with them having a final showdown. Like, is that where you think we're going? I mean, I think it's quite likely, actually, because I think the story has gone out of its way to kind of establish that there isn't really a way around that. Um, Like, I think we've even had bits about how, you know, even if one of them just tries to leave, the universe will kind of conspire to put them back in the same area and have them in conflict so yeah like i do think there is a pretty good chance that at some point these two are going to have to resolve things pretty finally somehow Mm. Mm. okay who do you think is going to win in the fight i think i actually think blake might um i kind of i actually think blake would could just win in the first strike like I, i don't know i think from a metatextual perspective i think it's more interesting because um I think if Rose killed Blake, she'd just kind of be like, oh, good, that's done with, um, based <laughs> on how she acts most of the time. Sure. Whereas Blake would feel guilty about it, or a lot more guilty, and, and so that means he'd suffer more after winning, um, which means it's more likely to happen in this mm. world. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think like we usually think of Blake as the kind of nicer one and Rose as the more ruthless one, but I, I think maybe Blake is underestimating how quickly he can just decide to kill some people. Yeah, I mean, we saw that um, so, last chapter, uh, last yeah, arc, right? Exactly. So I, I'd actually put my money on Blake, not just because he's the protagonist, but that, that definitely helps. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, what comment did you pull out? Um, uh, so I pulled out an, an interesting comment by Osato, who just sort of raised the question, hey, why don't some of these people just book it and leave? Um, and I mean, I, I just thought that was an interesting question. It got me thinking, you know, like... Uh, sort of going through each person and trying to figure out, you know, at this point when you know the Abyss is just trying to swallow up the whole town, mm. what is stopping some of these people from just saying, hey, fuck Jacob's Bell, I'm out. Um, mm. Yeah. So, I, like, I, I don't know, I guess I was just interested, just thought we could have a quick discussion about, like, you know, for the Duchamps at this point, 
what what is stopping them from just being like hey fuck this place let's get out <laughs> like hey toronto sounds real great right now ottawa great place let's go yeah um for the duchamps i think that's probably on the table i think the Bahams are probably a bit too tied to it right now which kind of ties rose to it um plus i also think i don't think they want to just after all this hand the remains of Jacob's Bell over to Johannes. Like, I feel like there's just a bit of spite in there, meaning that they want to keep fighting. I mean, maybe. Like, I, I definitely think for the, for the Bahames, this is where their power is established. You know, the Bahames have been here for a long time. So, you know, of course they need to stay here. Yeah. Um, I can totally I can totally buy that. Uh, the Duchamps, I'm a little bit more... Yeah, I get that you're spiteful, but when does your survival instinct kick in and yeah. just get the fuck out of there? Um uh, like the the thorburn uh family is is another one maybe not rose and blake but like you know i, I am a little surprised that people like peter and, and roxanne aren't just booking it yeah yeah um, interesting yeah whereas like you know i think blake has taken this this stand uh on principle and i think he has to kind of see it through um i think rose is too stubborn to give up the house so like i get what some people are saying but there are a lot of others where i'm just like hmm has the sunk cost fallacy maybe got to you a little bit? Yeah. I mean, maybe it is just that, like, since the siege at the house, I don't think there's been an opportunity to leave. Yeah. I mean, maybe you could just start running. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, would that work? Maybe it would work. I feel like there would be stuff that would mean it doesn't work because it's dangerous yeah, enough maybe. out there. Actually, yeah, you're right. There's so many crazy others running around. Maybe you don't just want to run run out somewhere. Yeah. Um, and have nobody looking for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, some good comments from people five years ago, but of course, uh, to see what's really going to happen, we'll have to see the next chapter. Um, and that's the end of our episode. Uh, if you liked this show, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever, man. Just do you do your thing. <laughs> Just write a blog post where you give us five out of five and yeah that counts just tweet a, a five at us and we'll know what you mean <laughs> um speaking of tweeting uh we're on twitter at medium d podcast uh something we we haven't been mentioning enough is that our live read schedule is all over the place at the moment because we're recording in preparation for the holidays what day so, is uh, it wait this episode comes out on wednesday oh um so I actually think the next library is, well, well, just there's doofmedia.com forward slash calendar. That's where you can find all the info because I'm getting very confused already. <laughs> um, but yeah, the libraries are going to be a bit ahead of the episodes for the next month and a bit. So, uh, you know, keep an eye on our Twitter to, to see where we're actually up to. Yes. Um, we have a discussion question that is currently active that you can leave your answers to. That question is, what other places might have sunk into the abyss? Um, already someone has said Atlantis, so you can't say that one. Uh, <laughs> so think of some other cool ideas, some other interesting real or fictional places that may have sunk into the abyss over time. And we're just going to get like, 10 answers that are just yeah. Atlantis now. 10 Atlantises. Or uh, Atlanta, <laughs> but the one from Futurama that falls into the ocean and they become mermaids. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you have an answer to that question, leave your answer in our discussion thread, uh, which you can find linked down below, or just comment on this chapter in general, what you thought of, I don't know, the big dragon, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and why you can't wait for it to do stuff next chapter i mean i assume it breathes fire well actually i think we saw it breathe fire yeah but who knows what else it can do um 
so you know we already mentioned the doof media calendar page there's other pages on the doof media website it's 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 more than one page on the website mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy it's got, yeah it's a whole um, website with like multiple pages there's uh there's even a page for we've got wood which is coming out uh just around the same time as this episode mm-hmm. so uh go check that out ward is pretty great at the moment uh and I'm excited to hear Matt and Scott's thoughts on some of the latest chapters. Yeah, if you read Ward but you don't listen to We've Got Ward, I would thoroughly recommend it because there's a lot of stuff going on in Ward that's, like, confusing, and you're like, what are the actual implications <laughs> of this? So it's useful to have somebody explain that to you. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, if you like the shows on the Doof Media Network, you can support us by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash doofmedia. Your contributions would be much appreciated, and you also get some perks if you donate at different levels, so check that out on the patron. Yep, and uh, speaking of Ward, speaking of Pact even, you mm-hmm. know, we talked about it a bit today. Never heard uh, of Patreon.com forward slash Wildbo. That's where Wildbo's money comes in and, and the stories come out. Yeah. It's, it's it's a machine where you put money in and you get great stories out the other end. Uh, so, you know, please spare any money you can for Wildbo and we'll keep getting stories. Yeah, or just share a worm or pact with somebody, you know. Just do mm. that and then it'll, they'll get stuck into it and then they might donate to his Patreon. So that's another thing you could do. Um, and another thing you could do is wait for our next episode, which is coming out soon on Friday the 6th of December. That's Cine DA uh, 14.3 and we'll see you then. See ya.